Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. So I have three kids. Most of you know this. If you don't, I'll catch you up. I have three kids, Troy, Daniela, and Tyler. Troy is 11. Daniela is almost, she's nine. She's almost 10 next month or in May. And Tyler, who just turned eight years old. And all of my kids, they practice uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? It's a grappling martial art. It's a ton of fun. I do it with them. And so constantly around my house, what you see is people choking each other and trying to submit each other. And you're like, are you serious? Yes. Mommy does not find this funny. She does not find it fun, but that's what we do at our house. And people say, well, is it like karate? And the answer is always no. Jiu-jitsu's real. Karate's not. That's what we say about those things. You say, well, Brian, isn't that kind of violent? And I say, yeah, I mean, it, it can be, but the world is kind of violent. And I'm rather proud to teach my daughter how to choke boys out. <laughs> we got that pic back there, Joey? It's not up there? Okay. Well, I had a picture. We'll move on. But so you teach your daughters how to be polite and kind. I teach mine how to choke boys. That's where we are in the world, just different parenting styles. But a couple weeks ago, we went to Greenville, and our kids had a uh, jiu-jitsu competition. And I saw something very, very interesting happen. So my oldest, Troy, he walked into the competition very confident, very serious. He's won them before. And so he walked in. He was sure of his skills. He was sure of what he's been practicing. So he walked out there, won all his matches, went to compete in the final, won the finals in, in, in both aspects of the, of the sport. And he walked away with the gold medals. Daniela walked into the the matches, well, ready to destroy everyone. I don't know if she was so confident in her skills as much she knew that somebody was getting smashed one way or the other. Like, I don't know where she gets it. She's super aggressive, and so she just knew, look, I'm going for it. Let's just see what happens. And she ended up winning it all as well in her division. But Tyler, my youngest, he went in. And his head was not in it at all. You see, Tyler was in the eight to nine-year-old division, which mainly has nine-year-olds not making excuses, just telling you the truth, mainly nine-year-olds. And Tyler had turned eight two days before the competition. So he was the youngest. When he signed up, he was seven competing against nine-year-olds. And he walked into this, these matches completely defeated. I tried to snap him out of it, as any father would, said, son, it's going to be okay. But he, he, he wasn't there. His mind was not right. And what do you think happened when he walked into these matches feeling like he lost already? He lost. He lost before it even started. We've heard things like that, but, but I just witnessed it. And here's the thing. As he was performing and as he was doing what he does, his skills and the technique, I mean, absolutely everything was there that he needed. 
His jujitsu was far better than the others. I'm not saying that because he's my son. I'm just telling you because it's true. I mean, he had everything he possibly needed in that moment, but his head was not in it. He thought he lost before it even started. And I bet if we're honest, we've all been there before, haven't we? We've all let our nerves get the best of us. We've allowed our doubts, we've allowed our fears to kind of take control. Well, we've gotten so worked up about something when we went to that sales meeting or we went to um, take that test or we went to perform or went to start that game, whatever it may have been, our nerves got the best of us where we just couldn't perform at the level we'd been preparing for or practiced for or even capable of. You see, our minds are powerful. Our doubts and our fears That little voice inside of our head that tells us that we're not good enough and we shouldn't be there can be so loud. And the thing is, we all have it. And it's one thing to let the, your nerves get the best of you for like a single event, like that sales meeting or that pitch you're making or that job interview or that test. Like It's one thing if it happens just every once in a while where you can just be like, all right, listen, I got it next time. But so many people are walking around this earth feeling so defeated every single day. So many people have this defeatist mindset thinking they're not going to win, they're not going to be good, they're not good enough, everything bad happens to them. But for the Christian, you do not have to live like that. So much of the Bible was written for you to combat those negative thoughts, those negative patterns that you've looped yourself into. You see, the primary way the enemy or Satan or the evil one, however we want to describe that entity, the primary way he works in our lives to to defeat us is through deception. Like there is a real, what we believe is there's a real battle going on for your mind every single day. And you have to understand is that you're not going crazy, you're not abnormal, and whatever label other people without a Christian worldview want to put on you, you just have to understand those deception and those lies and that voice, that's a very real thing, and we all deal with it. All humans do. The temptations, the struggles, there is an enemy trying to defeat you mentally. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says this, He says, for though we live in a world, although we live in the world, we do not wage world war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. We fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have a divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension to set itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Like there is a real battle going on and you have to take your thoughts captive every single day. We got to make them submissive to the gospel. And see, Jesus calls the, the devil or the evil one, he calls him the father of lies. And I don't know how it all works, but I bet we've all experienced those doubts and those fears and those, that little voice that says things like, you're not good enough. You don't belong here. 
You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not going to make it. You don't have what it takes. You're too much of a sinner. You're a loser. You're a fraud. You're going to fail. You're going to mess up again. All of us get bombarded with those thoughts. And the more you give in to them, the more you let that take hold, seemingly the more you will hear them. And it's not easy to deal with them, especially if you're in a season of it. I don't know about for you, but for me, I go through seasons of what seems to be this spiritual warfare where something's going on and it just keeps coming, it just keeps coming and it won't let go. And there are times I'm just like, Lord, I'm, I'm done with this. Like, I'm just absolutely done with what's going on right now. You really need to do something about this. I can't take it anymore. And if you've went through that, I just need you to know something. There is victory in Jesus Christ. That through Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. You are an overcomer. And if God is for you, who can be against you? You can walk through this life understanding that things may not go your way, but God. He will show up and he will have the final say. And victory really is yours to claim through Jesus Christ. This is what Paul has been building to this entire chapter. We've taken four weeks now to go through chapter 15, where Paul has laid out the gospel and he's explained that Jesus Christ died for our sins, just like the scriptures told us he would. That he was raised from the grave three days later, just like the scriptures pointed to. And that all these people saw him. This was a verifiable event, that people actually witnessed it, they saw him, they talked to him, like this was a real event in real time in real history. There is nobody. He rose and defeated death. And Paul goes on to lay out that, look, if this is true, then it should change everything about your life. If the resurrection is true, then everything about your life should be centered on the fact that this world has more to offer than just what you see and what you taste and what you hear. That there is another life, a life to come through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's going to go on to tell us, this is where we're going, that that means you and me, we, we can claim victory right now, today, in Jesus Christ. Here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 15, 50. We ended here last week. He says, what am I saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. Remember, we talked about how we're going to be resurrected, how we're going to be transformed. This amazing thing is going to happen. Now, here's what he's combating. You see, Jewish theology told him that they were going to inherit a land. Right? Think the promised land. Think Moses. Think Jew, uh, Joshua. They're going to get this actual land, this physical kingdom. And they were awaiting a Messiah that would bring about this physical kingdom where the land would be restored. And Paul says, actually, it's different. Jesus has changed the rules. It's no longer about this physical inheritance. That's going to mess up senior politics. That's okay. It says it's no longer about this physical inheritance because your physical bodies cannot inherit what God's doing. Your physical bodies cannot inherit what he's doing. It's not about the restoration right now. It's about this one to come, this different thing, this new thing where God's going to recreate it. So it's no longer about the physical land. 
It's no longer about building nations. It's no longer about all that stuff anymore. Now it's about us inheriting this kingdom of God. We first have to be transformed through the power of Jesus Christ. Like That's what he's laying out here. One scholar says this. He says, thus, the promise about the land are swallowed up in the resurrection teaching so that all that was hoped for in terms of the restoration of Israel to the land and the restoration of the land and all of creation to an edict condition now finds its ultimate um, consumption in the resurrection of the dead and the complete renewal of creation that accompanies it. Like God's going to do something big, not about physical land now, but about the world to come, about the new heavens, the new earth, when heaven and earth come crashing together and God dwells with his people. And he says, listen, your physical body can't handle that. It won't be able to. God's got to do a good work in you now. That's going to cause it to do a good work in it. Then you're going to be transformed and it's going to be pretty awesome. And he says, well, let me reveal to you a secret. And this is where we lean in. All right, Paul, tell us your secret. He says, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we all be transformed. He said, let me tell you a mystery, something that was hidden but now is revealed. Not everyone's going to die. Christ could come back at any moment. And when he comes back, he's going to be about their transformation process. Some will be alive. You're not going to miss the event is what he's saying. They're like, well, what happens if you come back and I'm not dead? He's like, no, 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 listen. When Christ comes back, everybody's going to know. You haven't missed it. If you're dead, he's going to bring you back. If you're alive, you're going to be transformed. He's going to explain this. He says, it will happen in a moment. Next verse. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. He says, so in a moment, in the shortest amount of time is what he's saying, a blink of an eye, the trumpet will sound, Christ will come back, all this transformation stuff will take place. And what Paul is ensuring that you and me and we understand is that our bodies will not be discarded. Our body are not pointless. They're not shells of our existence that we will be resurrected again. And God has revealed how this is going to happen. But here's the deal. He hasn't done this so we can now sit here and try to figure out our end times theories. Do you want to know how to grow a church? There's two ways. I'll tell you one of them. Talk about end times. We all know it. We learn about it. It's church growth 101. Talk about Jesus coming back and how it's all going to work. But listen, that's not what we should focus on. He doesn't tell us how all this is going to happen so we can get so caught up in the how. He tells us this to ensure us that there is victory found in Jesus Christ, that he has the final say, that he's going to take care of death. It no longer claims us, that he will come back Victory is found in him. He's saying, look, guys, folks, we've won. We've already won. You don't have to walk around feeling like a loser because you've already won. If you've already won, why are you acting like you lost? You're like, well, you don't know what happened to me. You don't know what's going to happen to you. This is what's going to happen to you. You will be raised to live how long? How long is that? I don't know. When people ask me about God and things they don't understand, I said, listen, I don't understand forever. And until I understand that, I'm not going to worry about the rest. Like it never ends. Like that's what he's saying. There is victory found in Jesus Christ. There is 
real hope. And he tells us about this song we can sing. Next verse, next slide. He says, then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. You see, the ultimate enemy of every single human being is death. It affects us all. We can't escape it, but death is simply the doorway into this transformation, this resurrection, this new thing that God is doing. The point is death has been defeated through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Folks, there is hope. There is an amazing amount of hope found in Jesus Christ, and it will be fully realized when he comes back. And he says, in light of this, Verse 57, this is what we've been working towards. He says, but thank God, he gives us victory over sin, over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is victory in Jesus Christ. Our victory has already been won because of Jesus Christ, which means you and me can live victorious lives because of Jesus Christ. And this victory isn't an experience because of what we've done, but because of what he has done. Our faith is rooted in what Jesus has done, not what we've done. So it doesn't matter who you are. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you are now something new, something different. And that means you and me, we should be the most thankful people on this planet. Because no matter the pain you're facing, no matter the hurts, the struggles, they can all be turned into thankfulness to remind you that there's going to be a day that you're not going to experience this. That there is a future that that pain and that hurt is pointing to a time when there will be none of that. The victory we claim, though, just isn't over death, but actually over sin. Through Jesus Christ, you are no longer in bondage to sin. You are now a child of God. Listen, you don't have to walk around feeling defeated, pessimistic. As a Christian, we should be hopeful because we've been set free. Does that mean you're not going to sin? Nope, you will. But does that mean you're a sinner? Nope. Your identity is not found in your sin. You see, before Christ, you are deemed a sinner. Your identity is found in your brokenness and what you've done wrong. Once you give your life to Jesus Christ, you're no longer identified as a sinner. You may sin, but that's not who you are. You are identified as a child of God. Your identity is rooted in him. It's not your past failures. It's not your sexuality. It's not your kids. It's not what you've messed up on. It's not your job title. It's not your degree. Your identity isn't found in any of that. Your identity through Jesus is found in him. That you are a Christian, that you are a Jesus follower. And so I want to walk through some things with you today, and I want you to say it out loud. It's going to be super weird. It's going to be super awkward. And if it's your first time here, you're going to be like, do y'all chant every Sunday? No. But today we do. So you're just going to have to deal with it and get over it. And if you don't do it, it's going to be more awkward for you than if you did do it. So you might as well participate. OK? 
Okay? Here's what we're going to do. We got these things I want you to claim with me today. You're like, Brian, this is just, what is this? The self-help? No, this is gospel help. This is the stuff that Jesus Christ already says about you, and it's about time you started believing it because he's already declared it. So we're going to walk through this together, and it's going to take a little while. It'll be all right. Here we go. First up, I want you to say it with me. Let's go. I am accepted. Say it. I am accepted. Now, here we go. Look, here, here's the deal. Walk you through. We're not going to do the endpoints. This is for your reference to go back and look up on your own. It'll be on the internet for you to look at later. Here we go. Say it with me. I am a child. Sorry, I messed up. I am Christ's friend. I have been justified. I am united with the Lord and one with him in spirit. I have been bought with a price. I belong to God. We're not done yet. Let's keep going. I am a member of Christ's body. I am a saint. I have been adopted as God's child. I have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. Y'all are good at this, by the way. I know I messed it up. Y'all are good. All right, I messed it all up. Let's start here again, all right? All right, here we go. I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I am complete in Christ. No, wait. You're about to start. Can you go back one, please? Do you believe that? I am complete in Christ. Fully satisfied, complete. He is, let's just keep going. I am secure. Here we go. Ready? I am free from the condemnation. I am assured that all things work together for good. I am free from any condemning charges against me. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I am hidden with Christ in God. I am confident that God's work God has begun we will be perfected. I am a citizen of heaven. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I can find grace and mercy in time of need. I have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. I am born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. All right, next up is I am significant. You ready? Say it with me. I am significant. I am the salt and the light of the earth. I am a branch of the true vine, a channel of his life. I have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. I am a personal witness of Christ. I am God's temple. I am a minister of reconciliation. I am God's co-worker. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I am God's workmanship. And I may approach God with freedom and confidence. Do you actually believe those things? Rather than those lies and that deceit 
and all the pounding you hear over and over in your head about you're not good enough, you can't win. That's not what Christ says about you. That's not what God thinks of you. Through Jesus Christ, you are so much greater than that, not because of you, but because of him. I cannot overemphasize. It's impossible to overemphasize what God is trying to get across to us about his love and how he sees us. Look what Ephesians says. I'm going to read this for us. Look at this. He says this. Paul says, he says, once you were, were, past. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, this is you before Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, this is you now. Okay, this is where you're at. You were once dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to, past tense, live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unsee world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us, this is you and me, all of us used to live that way. This is our story, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. This is the story of all humans. But, starting in verse 4, but God. He stepped in, folks. But God is so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. There the resurrection is again. It's been here the whole time because of the resurrection. He said, it is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united to Christ Jesus so much of the scriptures trying to teach you and me that, listen, sin, yes, has had its reign in our life. But because of Jesus Christ, because of the power of God, we no longer have to be what we used to be. That's not our identity. We are new creation. Look at what he says. Oh, let's go to verse 7. So God can point us all in the future ages except the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in what he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. That's the end of Ephesians. We're in Corinthians now. Next slide. He says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become what? You mean the same person? How many of us are living into that? Or how many of us cling back to what used to be? He says you're new. The old life is gone. The new has begun. There is victory found in Jesus Christ. This new life, this eternal life, this resurrected life where you and me can walk boldly with our heads held high, knowing it's not about what we've done, but about what he's doing in our life. So in light of all of this, amazing goodness and truth about Jesus. What do we do next? Well, he tells us. Verse 58, he says, So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. He calls us to be grounded in the gospel this good news of what Jesus Christ has done should drive everything in our lives and all the ministries we do 
through us and in the local church because of the resurrection, because we know this isn't it. We know this life is temporary. We know it's fading. We know it's going to die. We know all the wealth we accumulate. We know all that stuff's just going to go away. Like it's not going to go with us forever. So in light of that, we dedicate this life to the work of Jesus Christ. And I know we get short-sighted. I do. We all do. We get caught up with our careers, our families, our education, our hobbies. We think they're going to satisfy. We think we're supposed to build this life right here now, and we need all this stuff, and we need all this wealth, and we need all these houses. we got to make sure we don't lose it, like that something's going to happen. But listen, the gospel says no. That's human pursuits. That's worldly pursuits. Turn your life over to godly pursuits. The gospel calls us to let go of this life because we've been given eternal life and to give ourselves to the work of Jesus Christ. We are now to use all that he's been given us to help make and mature disciples, to invest our lives in other people so they may get to know Jesus, they may get to experience his grace, They may come to understand their talents, gifts, and abilities to then go make more disciples. You're like, Brian, are you serious? I'm supposed to give my life to invest in other people? Yes. That is the point. Like, yeah, but you don't understand. I got to do my own thing. No. Jesus has already done everything. It's it's already been done. You can't work for it. No matter what you build, it's not going to compare to what you're going to inherit. God's already done it. So we take our stand on the gospel and we give our lives away to the gospel, working for him. And the reason why so many people aren't living a victorious life in Jesus Christ is because they haven't joined God in what he's doing in this world. They want a little bit of salvation, but they want to live for themselves. But that's not what Jesus offers. The king of kings... The Lord of Lords, he wouldn't offer something so small. He rather offers you an eternal, abundant life that starts now. And so he gives us this new purpose and this new mission. And that's what the local church is all about, that we come together as brothers and sisters of Christ, living under the king. His name is Jesus. And we go out and we live as his hands and his feet, spreading the gospel Starting ministries, helping people, bringing marriages together, raising kids up in the gospel, helping people rediscover their lives and their purpose, helping them find reconciliation and forgiveness. Like the church is supposed to work through all of that, and you and me, we play our part in the process. And again, all of this is based on the simple fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because we can be overcomers. We can live by faith, stepping out, allowing God to do a good work in our lives and through our lives, because we know that we're going to live forever. This is just a small part. We're going to live forever. And if the resurrection didn't happen, then just go for it, live it up. But if it did, that changes everything changes everything. The victory is already ours. And for some of us, we've gotten off track. I believe we all get off track at some point in our life. But some of us, we've been off track for quite a while. 
We've been addicted to our work. We've treated our kids as idols who control every aspect of our lives. Listen, your kids aren't gods. You just need to know that. They're kids. They're not little idols. They're, they're, they're just kids. Or we put our hope in the next big thing or whatever it may be. Or maybe you've just been walking around feeling defeated. Life has given you so much pain, so much hurt. Or perhaps you, you're just focusing on your sin, thinking it's everything about you. Listen, it's not. It's not who you are. It's just sin. Ugh, get rid of it. Jesus is everything. My point is it's so easy to get off track. It's so easy to miss living for Jesus Christ. It's so easy to like forget this. But let me tell you something. When my kids competed at that tournament and two of them did great and one of them didn't, who do you think I leaned into as a father? The one who missed it. I ran to them. And yeah, I'm proud of the ones who won, whatever. Good for them. But that one who needed me the most, who was full of shame and sadness and pain, I ran to that little boy because he needed his dad. And you need to know your dad is waiting with open arms, waiting for you to go, come on. I've been here the whole time. Just come on. Find forgiveness. Rest in my grace. Come on. You see, he is waiting for you just like he waited for that prodigal son to return. You see, Jesus will lean into your failures. He will lean into your disappointments. He has promised you so much. You and me, we just need to live in light of that victory. We need to claim that victory found in Jesus Christ because sin and death do not have the final say. Our God does because there is victory in Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in thanks and gratitude. We know you've started a good work in our lives and we know you will see it to completion. We know you are the same God who led all the people in the past to their victories. You are the God who's declared these truths about us through Jesus Christ. You are the God who offers us grace and mercy and salvation. Lord, we know you've started something good in our lives. We know that the gospel will continue to work in our lives, but we need you now. We need your help. We need to see over the mountain. We need to see what's on the other side. We need you to run alongside of us and come grab us and hold us and remind us that we're loved by you. Father, we know the victory's already been won, so help us live in light of that. Help us pray better, Lord. Help us seek your word daily, Lord. Remind us and convict us and use this sermon this week to help us not get caught up in all the negativity. To not live in light of the lies. But to live in light of the gospel. That we will live forever. We have found the secret that Jesus Christ is enough. And that he satisfies. And his grace is enough. His mercy is great. So, Lord, let us live in light of that in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.